Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Rundown. And uh, normally this is the part where I'm screaming theme song and we get into some jocularity and have some fun with the the world of professional wrestling. But And we will get into all that in just a moment. Um, however, as I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard by this point, uh, the wrestling community lost a legend last Sunday night uh, when... A man by the name of Raymond Lewis Heenan, and uh, most of you probably knew him better as Bobby the Brain Heenan, passed away after a long, long battle. Uh, His health had been failing for quite a while, and sadly, he succumbed this past week and passed away. Um, Bobby was a pioneer. Bobby was a trailblazer. Um, I grew up in the era where Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon were the soundtrack of my childhood. Um, as a guy who got into the wrestling business as an announcer, I always said, if I grew up, if I, if I got into the business as an announcer and I was a face announcer, I was going to be like Gorilla Monsoon. But if I was a heel announcer, man, I wanted to be like Bobby the Brain Heenan. The quick wit, the razor sharp, cutting humor, everything he did, he did tremendously. And I think back to the, the Royal Rumble when Ric Flair won, how he went the entire night putting over Flair nonstop. And I think back through so many things, his feud with Hogan, uh, even some great moments he had in WCW. Who, who can ever forget Brian Pillman sneaking up behind him at a Clash of the Champions, forcing him to swear on live television. Um, and, of course, one of my favorite Bobby Heenan moments of all time, uh, when Hulk Hogan turned on WCW to form the NWO, Ho, of course, Heenan said, I've told you all along you couldn't trust that guy. So, uh anti-Hogan all the way from start to finish and was really vindicated in that moment for decades of anti-Hogan thoughts. And I thought that was a great little touch at that moment. Uh, Perhaps my personal favorite, as anybody that listens to the show knows, I'm a huge Shawn Michaels mark. So the one thing that's always stuck in my head uh, was, of course, that moment when uh, Shawn Michaels tossed Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window. And I still remember the call. I could still hear Bobby in my head. Uh, as Shawn Michaels raised Marty Jannetty's hand, they had shaken hands. Uh, he raised his arm in the air and, you know, I told you, Monsoon, they can't break up. One without the other is no good. And then Shawn delivers that kick. And uh, Heenan goes, I knew it. I knew he was going to do that. He don't need Jannetty. It was one of the best moments in the history of, of wrestling. Um, one of the most iconic moments. And as with a lot of the most iconic moments in wrestling, uh, Bobby Heenan was front and center and is forever attached to it. Um, it's gonna. It, it's sad to know we'll never hear the voice, the wit, or the just charm of Bobby the Brain Heenan behind the microphone again. We wish him the absolute easiest of rests in peace. Uh, hope that he's feeling no pain on the other side, and we would like to dedicate this edition of the Rundown to the memory of Bobby the Brain Heenan.
Episode 312 of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Jason. And for those of you who uh, tune in and enjoy the witty repartee between myself and Troy, I have bad news for you. You're not going to get any of that this week. Uh, Troy is on assignment taking care of some other business for the podcast. Uh, So I am flying solo this week. Uh, We're going to try to get through a bunch of stuff. I'm going to try not to bore you and put you to sleep, but I'm going to let you know what I think about some of the major things that have gone on in the world of professional wrestling and some of the major news items that have gone on as well. But we're going to open it off with a little segment we like to call The Perfect Ten. A ten! A ten! A fucking ten! All right, leading off The Perfect Ten this week, and I'm going to start here because we're about a week behind the start of this story, but it started on NXT last week uh, when we witnessed what's being called the Undisputed Era, apparently. Of course, the team of Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly as they got involved in a situation involving in a match involving Wolfgang and Pete Dunne. Now, first off, let me say the match between Wolfgang and Pete Dunne was great. These British matches seem to always deliver, uh, and I really hope we get more of these on NXT in the coming coming weeks and months. Uh, now, Wolfgang's shoulder was up on the pinfall. If any of you saw that, uh, it was obviously a mistake. It happens. It was unfortunate. But at the end of the day, the match was still tremendous. Following the match, the Undisputed Era runs out. They attack the both Wolfgang. They simply started with Pete, Pete Dunne and then went after Wolfgang as well. Uh, that, of course, prompted Wolfgang to come in, save Pete Dunne. They jumped him. And Pete Dunne, proving once again why he is absolutely one of the best heels in the world right now, uh, fakes like he's going to run in and make the save for Wolfgang, dives in, grabs his belt, and leaves. Uh, This, of course, prompted the team of Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven, and the former UK champion, Tyler Bate, to come in and make the save for Wolfgang, leading, of course, to this week's main event of NXT featuring Mustache Mountain, taking on the Undisputed Era of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. And I thought this match was great. I thought it delivered. I hope down the road we get more of this. Uh, Not to get too spoilery, but on the last set of tapings, there was really nothing further delivered on this. But I could totally see uh, Mustache Mountain teaming up with Drew Galloway down the road to take on the entire Undisputed Era. And that lead, obviously, to Adam Cole and uh, Drew Galloway program that I think we all know is coming in the not-too-distant future. I think that would be a great way to do it. Maybe even find a fourth for each side. Maybe, I don't know, Donovan Dijak for for the Undisputed Era. 
uh, and I'm sure maybe you throw Pete Dunne in there as kind of a reluctant fourth member, maybe even Wolfgang, uh, and make that an elimination match as the main event of the Survivor Series weekend takeover. I think that would be an interesting way to do that, and perhaps that will be a plan. I don't know, but I would like to see that. They could take my money if they decided to book that program going forward. Now, speaking of things that kind of didn't... I talked about something that I really enjoyed recently, and now allow me to tell you something I didn't so much enjoy. Because this week on SmackDown... We continued to see more of Dolph Ziggler as he went around and pretended to do other people's entrances. Um, this is a guy who has all the talent in ring in the world, could be doing tons of great stuff, and instead he's relegated to doing these impersonations of other people. This is a tremendous waste of his talent. This is also a very clear indicator that creative just has no real idea what to do with this guy. Um, I think we can all understand that this is leading up, uh, and the way he's he's drilling down on and hammering down on entrances is leading up to at some point he's going to go to do one, and then we're going to hear the piano, and Bobby Roode's going to come out, because that's the, the big entrance du jour right now with the glorious song, etc. Um, we haven't seen Bobby Roode in three weeks on television, and I sort of feel like if you were going to keep him off for three weeks to, to create this moment... That would have been a hell of a way to make the debut of Bobby Roode, because I don't think the debut he had was particularly impactful. I mean, he beat Aiden English, and that was great and all. But if the if the end game here was to have his entrance be the one that sort of sets the feud off with, with Ziggler, I think they would have been much better served holding off on the Bobby Roode debut until such time as that could fulfill that prophecy. Um I'm looking forward to a program with Dolph Ziggler and with um, Bobby Roode. I think the the two will deliver in ring. I'm not 100% sure if it's going to be as captivating as I would hope it would be, as I think it would be in NXT, where I think they'd be given time to really sort of develop the story. I feel like it's going to end up being rushed. I feel like it's going to end up sort of being swept under the carpet by the creative team because it's not you know, a top two program. And I think down the road, that would be a great mid-card title feud between the two of them. Unfortunately, as we've discussed in the past, the mid-card title is being used on SmackDown as the de facto biggest belt on the show, which is a nice segue to discussing how Baron Corbin has done what I thought was impossible. Baron Corbin has done something nobody in the history of professional wrestling has been able to do. Baron Corbin has sucked all the charisma out of AJ Styles. Yes, because this feud has done absolutely nothing for me, and I feel like the WWE creative offices are aware of that fact. They know that, and the end result of that is that they've kind of pigeonholed and shoved uh, Ty Dillinger into this feud, almost making it a, a triple threat kind of feud. This has been a little awkward and uneven for me. Um, they've sort of developed it, but Ty still sort of seems like the odd guy out here. I mean, he's involved in it. He's in the thick of things. Uh, he was the reason for the big issue with Corbin this week and the match not actually happening. But it doesn't actually feel like he's a serious, credible threat to this championship. And, and when you're in a championship program, you should never feel like that guy's not a credible threat. I think it does a disservice to the belt, and I think it does a disservice to Dillinger. Uh, but they're sort of hamstrung because I think they know Corbin Corbin's in-ring style doesn't really mesh well with AJ's, near as I can tell at least. Um, and, and Corbin's personality, 
is not doing doing well mixing with AJ's either. Uh, I feel like Corbin's now taken on the role of like the whiner and complainer, which was sort of the role they had Kevin Kevin Owens doing with AJ prior to this. Um, I think maybe Dillinger's at there to add a little more personality to offset that personality that Corbin doesn't really have, or at least hasn't displayed uh, as a character on SmackDown. We've seen it in bits and pieces on Talking Smack and then some NXT uh, backstage promos, but we haven't really seen it on the main roster. I would like to see it. I'd like to see him and Styles be able to kind of put together something special. I'm not sure if they have it in them. We'll find out. Uh, But at this point, I'm going to say this has been severely underwhelming, and I'm very happy that they're at least doing something with Ty Dillinger, that he's in a serious program, that he's getting TV time, because a lot of guys aren't see Sami Zayn. Uh, But I'd like to see him sort of in a storyline for the U.S. title where he doesn't feel like an afterthought, where he feels like a focal point, uh, and it feels like he might have an actual chance to win that title. And none of that uh, is what's going on right now. Now, speaking of guys having shots at titles, let's head over to Raw, where this week we saw, I guess, a continuation of furthering of the Jason Jordan Miz storyline that we've sort of been dancing around for a couple of weeks and months now. Um, my big issue here is that I hate when you take a title as prestigious as the Intercontinental title and you don't book a championship match for the next pay-per-view until the go-home episode. It sort of feels like you're treating that belt as an afterthought and something that doesn't really matter, and it should never be treated that way. That title has glory, it has prestige, it has history, and it should be treated as such. But in this case, I feel like... And The Miz, for his part, is a tremendous intercontinental champion. Uh, you could make a case that he's he's in the discussion for top 10 intercontinental champions of all time, at least based on title reigns. Uh, and well, I think we'll get into more of that later. But uh, it's been a little weird the way they've put this feud together. But it did lead to a, a special match on Raw, and we had a bunch of people who didn't have a shot of being intercontinental champion. I think we all knew that. Guys like uh, Bo Dallas, guys like Curtis Axel, guys like... Um, the Drifter, Elias Sampson. I'm going to say Sampson because I like to call uh, people with their last names. Um, but none of them had a shot of winning that that match. I think we all kind of knew it was Jason Jordan's match to lose unless they threw the curve and, uh, and on us and, and went with Jeff Hardy again. But I, I think we all kind of knew. And I, I, WWE's been doing a lot of this lately, particularly we saw it a lot with the 205 Live guys where they start kind of start the angle and then do the number one contender match where the guy who you've already started an angle with ends up winning. It's kind of like we already knew that. Let's do the number one contenders match before we start the angle, and we'll use that to build the angle. Uh, It's a little bit of a problem in terms of the continuity of the storyline, and it really sort of takes me out of it. I'd really be happy if we could uh, start building contenders in a better way, at least I can say one thing, and those of you who've listened to this show for a while will know, I have a serious pet peeve when they build a contender by having him beat the champion. That's not what they did in this case. I'm not sure how it's going to play out when it comes time for the pay-per-view, and we'll get into that later. i got predictions coming up for that. But the build has obviously been underwhelming. They've kept them apart, but they've kept them apart almost to a ridiculous degree where there's no real heat behind this match yet. We'll see. Maybe something happens on the pre-show. Maybe something happens early on in the card. I don't know. But 
I'm a fan of Jason Jordan. I'm a huge fan of The Miz, and I'm really not looking as forward to this match as I thought I would. I hope I'm wrong, and we'll see how it plays out come Sunday night. But uh, as of now, definitely, definitely underwhelmed. Speaking of underwhelming, we had a return of a wrestling legend, a piece of wrestling royalty, I guess, if you will, as uh, Monday night marked the return to live WWE programming of one Dustin Rhodes. Yes, Gold Dust lost the paint for one night at least. Uh, as part of the program between Finn Balor and, uh, and uh, Bray Wyatt, in what is being billed for the pay-per-view, and I shit you not on this one, as the man versus man match. What the fuck? Really, what in the absolute fuck is the man versus man match? And I get that you want to build up that, you know, he's never beaten, Finn Balor's never beaten Bray Wyatt without the demon. But pretty much every match that's not a Divas match in the history of WWE has been a man versus man match, hasn't it? Does this really need special billing for the show? I, I'm not entirely sure what the point of, of that is. I think there were far better ways you could build that match than, than man versus man. Um, but Dustin did show up. Dustin did take off the gold paint, or at least Bray Wyatt took it off the week before, and, and Dustin didn't put it back on. Um, but Dustin looks a lot older without the makeup. And I always I was always a fan of Dustin Rhodes, just the character. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him get a run as Dustin in WWE in a brief dances around it a little bit here and there but it never really stuck he was always kind of stuck with one of these really crazy wacky gimmicks but I, I sort of feel like the time has passed to do a storyline with Dustin I sort of feel like Goldust is the entrenched guy and there's a whole generation now of fans who watched and really had no idea about the history of Dustin Rhodes uh, this is a story that was a little tough to tell, I think, for a lot of people who weren't regular fans or longtime fans. And I don't, at the end of the day, I don't really think it served any purpose to build to Bray Wyatt versus Finn Balor. Um, Balor cut the promo, and that was great. It was actually a pretty good promo. I enjoyed it. It was one of Balor's better ones on the main roster. Uh, but you know, Balor making a save, some sort of interaction, I guess, would have would have helped a lot. I, all in all, I, this has been, and like I've said in the past, a very underwhelming program between Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt. I'm sort of looking forward to them splitting off and doing other things, but I'm not entirely sure when that's going to happen. I guess we will find out. But without much on the horizon for either one to do at the moment, I'm not entirely sure that this program is going to end at this pay-per-view. This may very well drag on at least until we get one more appearance of the demon. Uh, we'll have to find out, but I hope, I hope that I am very wrong. I just don't know that I am. And things that are very, very wrong occurred on SmackDown quite a bit this week, uh, starting with the promo by our WWE World Heavyweight Champion. That's right, the 50th WWE World Heavyweight Champion in history, the modern-day Maharaja, well, that guy went out there and cut a pretty racist promo. Yeah, uh, complete with talking about how, and, and I use my quotation fingers here, about how Nakamura rooks. Yeah, yeah, 
and then uh, called him Mr. Miyagi at one point, I believe. Uh, it was all in all one of the more when when a, when the crowd, a WWE, a pro wrestling crowd, starts chanting, "That's too much." You know you've crossed the line, and there's been a, there's been a certain degree of outrage towards this, uh, so much so that the WWE had to sort of issue a statement regarding it. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. This feud has been drastically underwhelming, and and I sort of feel like they're scrambling due to the fact, at least in part, that Nakamura is not a great promo at the moment. Obviously, he's still working on mastering the English language. Uh, Mahal's never been a great promo. But to just send, like, oh, we got this Asian guy. Let's send him out to make fun of the other Asian guy while he calls everyone else a racist, and that'll be funny. Goddamn, pal. Like, this has Vince McMahon's fingerprints all over it. Like, hey, let's all those, uh, here are all those Asian jokes we can't make. Well, let's, if we put them in the mouth of another minority, then maybe we can get away with it, pal. What do you think? Um, this was just shitty TV. This was just lowbrow and sort of... I. I I sort of struggle to say beneath the WWE, but I really feel like it was even beneath the WWE. Uh, the only saving grace of this segment was the acting of the Singh brothers, because that was really good. Uh, they, made, they made things at least somewhat entertaining as they went through this whole spiel. But I, I just this is just another part of this Jinder Mahal title reign that has been not only underwhelming, but just sort of t deflating to the whole show. Uh, attendance reports for this show were really bad uh, from people who were there. They said the entire balcony was tapered off all around, uh, as well as the entire hard cam side. Uh, a lot of good seats available for SmackDown, apparently. Uh, and that's, that's a problem, because that's an indication that people are not showing up to see the guys on top. And this wasn't as big a deal when you had John Cena on there uh, to at least pop the ratings, pop the attendance. Now you got AJ Styles, and AJ Styles is very popular, but AJ Styles isn't in a prime position. He's in a U.S. title feud with another guy nobody cares about. You've got two major titles on SmackDown in the form of the U.S. Heavyweight Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship, and one is held by a guy that has no charisma and nobody cares about, and the other one is being uh, challenged for by a guy with no charisma that nobody cares about. So... It really makes it, what's what's the draw to SmackDown if you're a fan? Because I don't personally see one. Uh, I'd love to see them do a course correction and, and do some things that we know they have the roster to do. Focus on making it a wrestling show because you have the talent to make it a, a hell of a wrestling show. Uh, and we'll see. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe when we get to Nakamura and AJ down the road, uh, maybe that's where we end up. But as of right now, they're a far, far cry from that. And we'll see where they, how, hopefully, how they correct that in the coming weeks and months. One thing that they do not need to correct, however, is the Shane McMahon, Kevin Owens feud. Because this is picture perfect. This is the best thing in the company right now. The way this is being booked, uh, Owens destroying Vince, Shane coming out, no dancing. If Shane had come out dancing, I would have probably thrown something at my TV. Uh, but he didn't. He came out. He was very solemn. He was very focused. He was angry. The anger was palpable. He told a story. You know, listen, we don't always like each other, but that's our blood. You don't mess with our McMahons. Uh, this was tremendous. This was the promo Shane needed to cut. And then 
bring in Kevin Owens from a remote site, and thankfully, again, they, they, they little continuity, a little bit of attention to detail, because if they were in the same building, of course, you would say, well, why doesn't Shane just jump him in the back of the building and kill him? They, they put the story together where Kevin Owens wasn't in the building, so it made it perfectly logical. And then Kevin Owens cuts a great promo about how he has nothing but respect for Vince McMahon, and it's Shane's fault that happened, and he kind of switched the heat on him, and then, and then ended it with, for doing things like I'm going to do to you, people like me don't go to hell, they go to heaven. Beautiful. It was, it was exactly what that promo needed to be. Kevin Owens once again proves why he is one of the best things going in this company right now. Uh, he can deliver whatever you need him to deliver in any scenario you need him to deliver it in. This guy is money, uh, and I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what Kevin Owens can do. I am over the roof excited to see this match uh, and, and the brutality. It needs to be physical. It needs to have blood. It needs to deliver every bit of hostility that these two guys have built up over the last months or so. Couple months actually. This goes back a little bit, um, but it, it has all the elements it needs to have. The powder keg is there. The fuse has been lit. Now we just got to sit back and wait for the explosion that's going to happen at Hell in a Cell. And I personally cannot wait to see how that plays out. I really, really hope that they don't uh, underdeliver on this one because this has the potential to go down as a great one of the best feuds of the year. Now, for those of you who watched Raw. You saw what's, what's called in the business the go-home edition of Monday Night Raw. Uh, unfortunately, two of our top stars in John Cena and Brock Lesnar took that a little too seriously as they were not in attendance for the event. Uh, but I do think it opened the door for Roman Reigns to cut one of his best promos ever. I thought he delivered with conviction. I thought he delivered enough of that behind-the-curtain the stuff uh, of course, mentioning Alex Riley, who's sort of danced around his own issues with John Cena without ever actually publicly saying all out what they are, at least. Um, I thought this was by far Roman's best effort. And interestingly enough, it was a very, very heel promo. And you got to wonder if at some point somebody in the back sits there and watches it and goes, you know what? He's really at his best when we allow him to kind of be an asshole. And... Maybe we're off and running at that point. Maybe that's maybe that's what this whole thing has been leading to. Who knows? We'll find out. But I feel like we've kind of we're, we're the hamster in the wheel when we talk about Roman being a heel. Uh, I've been on the record before. I don't know how much of a difference it makes because I think as soon as he turns heel, I'm pretty sure the fans start cheering him anyway. That said, uh, I can't. I couldn't be more excited to see Cena and Roman. This is the match for those of you who listened for a while. This is the one I've been advocating for for a year now. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do, and I love the fact that they haven't touched yet. I, I think it's amazing, and it's the type of uh, anticipation that you can get from a match with two high-quality talents when you keep them apart, when you don't throw them in tag matches against each other, when you don't waste that with, with just meaningless interactions and brawls. This program has legit anticipation. There's going to be an electricity when these two guys finally hook up. And I am very, very pumped for this weekend's No Mercy card, which, in case you haven't heard, is, has been changed to No Mercy with two WrestleMania-caliber main events. Because every time they mention the name of the show, they reminded us that it has two WrestleMania-caliber main events. 
The second WrestleMania caliber main event, of course, Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar, who also didn't bother to show up for the show this week. Uh, and they, they did do a little kind of backstage segment, which was fine. I liked the um, video package highlighting everything that's gone on. I thought that was really well done. WWE production staff had a really good week uh, with all the packages they put together. Um, very much looking forward to Strowman and, and Lesnar. I think the anticipation for that one as well is going to be really off the charts when they touch when they get in the ring and they've had a little bit of physicality, just kind of just a tease of what they're going to do. Uh, not full blown. And I think they've done a really good job of Lesnar making Strowman look dangerous, making Strowman look like a real credible opponent. Uh, although I would, I, I would hope that it's hard to decide who you think should win this match because realistically, neither one of them should take a pinfall. And maybe that's where we're going to go. We'll get into that when we get into predictions later on. But uh, this is going to be this going to be a pay per view you don't want to miss. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, one of the things that is going on at this pay per view, and I'm going to end this with uh, because the women main evented SmackDown this week. I'm going to end the Perfect Ten this week with two stories about the women: one on Raw, one on SmackDown. And leading into the pay per view this week. We have what was originally Sasha's contractually obligated rematch with Alexa. And then Nia Jax held up the title, so she got to be in the match. And then Emma started a hashtag, so she got to be in the match. And then Bailey showed up in San Jose, and now all of a sudden on the go-home edition, our Fatal 4-Way is now a Fatal 5-Way. It's almost like Kurt Angle is like Oprah. You get a women's title match, and you get a women's title match, and you get a women's title match. And if you're poor Mickey James, you're going to be sitting in the back going, what the fuck do I have to do? Everyone else on the fucking roster is in this title match except me. Uh, But to me, this is just a giant cluster. This is a waste of that title. It's being booked in a manner that's not very serious, let's be honest. Uh, the one thing I did like, and, and the internet sort of went apeshit, uh, was when Bailey went for that hug on Sasha, it was very close to the positioning she would get her in for the Bailey to belly. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought that maybe that was where they were going with it. Uh, instead, of course, just a straight hug. They did have the, the very entertaining moment where Alexa sort of slides in between them, and then they went, ah, uh, no, no, not, not at all, no. Um, Though just the sight of them working together with Alexa was a little strange. I don't think that's necessarily the best way to book that. I think Alexa cowering while the other two took her out, took out Naya, uh, and then Alexa sliding in to raise her hand would have been a far better way to do that. But they did it, and we now have Bailey in the match, and I'm not really sure why, and I don't really have a ton of uh, anticipation for this. I just sort of feel like this is old Divas booking, where it's like, let's just throw everyone in one match to get them on the show. And it's going to be one of those deals where it's like a five-minute and done sort of scenario. I hope I'm wrong. We'll find out. Uh, Of course, the pay-per-view is this Sunday. And we'll have to sit back and wait and see if anybody else gets added to this match between now and then. Because that's the trend. Just show up, ask for a title match, and there you go. It just sort of felt beneath Bailey to, to bring her out in San Jose for that cheap pop and then just throw her into the match. I, I wasn't a fan of this. And another thing I wasn't a fan of, well, I should correct myself here. I, 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 love, I loved what this led to. But on SmackDown this week, we had the return of Charlotte Flair. 
who was cutting a emotional promo about her dad and, and thanking the fans, of course, to be interrupted by Crazy Farting Cat Lady. And Crazy Farting Cat Lady comes out and proceeds to tell everybody that she's paying tribute to a great woman herself, of course, because we all saw that coming. And then we have everybody in their fucking mother on the SmackDown roster comes out for a title shot, for a chance at a title shot. And, of course, the end result being, hey, let's just throw all those crazy women in a match together. Because that's what we do with the women. We just shove them all in multi-woman matches rather than developing storylines and you know going through the motions and building characters and developing feuds and maybe having more than one women's program at a time. Uh, they just shoved them all in one match. They did it again. The match delivered. It was a main event of SmackDown. I thought the match itself was tremendous. I thought the, the spots were really well worked out, were really well timed. I thought everything, everybody came out looking good. Even Tamina looked good in this match. Uh, which is a hard thing to do. I will say, if Lana's going to be a fucking manager again, just stick her with Rusev. This Lana and Tamina pairing, to me, it does nothing for either one of them. If anything, it downgrades Lana because you're you're telling the world she can't fucking wrestle, which, you know, they have eyes. But you're also telling them that, uh, well, we had this whole thing with Rusev, but forget about that, and now she's managing girls. It, the whole thing is just dumb. Just stick her back with Rusev. That's where she excels. It makes Rusev better. It makes her better. And it, to, Tamina is is just waiting for her future endeavor. Um, other than the fact that her dad was Jimmy Superfly Snooker, she probably would have already been future endeavored. Uh, but, like I said, this was one of her better matches that I can remember on television anyway. A credit to the other women in the ring with her. This match was great. I think we all kind of saw where it was going. I think we all sort of knew Charlotte was going to come out on top of this, but I thought it was done with enough false finishes and enough moments where you could suspend that disbelief and, and convince yourself that someone else was going to win, which is exactly what you want in that type of match. They delivered it. I thought it was tremendous. Uh, the match, like I said, the match itself was great. I have no complaints about the match. Uh, like I said, just the booking wasn't crazy about the throw everyone in, a, in, in one match. But... The end result, of course, being we now have our our women's title match for the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, as it's going to be Charlotte Flair, of course, challenging Natalia for the championship in a match we haven't seen since they battled for genetics shortly after WrestleMania when uh, Charlotte won the original women's championship. Hopefully, we'll get to see another match where their genetics are on the line, because that was oh, compelling television. Uh, what I will say... And one thing I did find interesting is if you noticed, the women's Money in the Bank holder was nowhere on television. Uh, I think she did a segment maybe on WWE.com, but she wasn't on the TV show. She wasn't on, she wasn't really mentioned much. Uh, and to me, that's usually what they start to do right before you get a cash in. They start to separate that person, kind of keep them tucked away. So there's a little surprise, a little little bit of a oh shit moment when they when they show up and their music hits. And you go, oh my god, they have the case, I forgot. Um, I think that might be where we're going here, and I could totally see a scenario where Charlotte Flair dedicates the match to her dad, wins the title, they have this emotional moment, Rick comes out maybe, and he's in the ring with her, and they're crying together, and then Ellsworth comes out and jumps Rick, or Ellsworth comes out and, and beats up, or, or does something chicanerous to, to take out Charlotte, and then Carmella comes in, cashes in the briefcase, and walks away with the Money in the Bank title. I'm sorry, no, the, the Women's Championship on SmackDown. I think that's exactly what they could do. Talk about building nuclear heat 
for Carmella. That's exactly how you would do that. And I'm hoping that there's some scenario planned that's similar to that we'll see down the road. But that is going to do it for the Perfect 10 this week. That is going to take us all the way over. And this is going to be interesting because for the first time, I'm going to be doing the news desk completely solo. All right, leading off the news desk tonight, the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, announced this week that on Saturday, November 25th, a live event will have the Starcade theme to it. The Coliseum was, of course, the original home of the Starcade event back in 1983. The following matches have been announced for the show, including two steel cage matches as Shinsuke Nakamura and the WWE champion Jinder Mahal square off inside of a steel cage. And Charlotte Flair takes on SmackDown's women's champion, women's champion, Natalia. I guess we all know why we knew Charlotte was winning on SmackDown. Uh, we also have AJ Styles defending the U.S. title against Baron Corbin and Rusev. Interesting to note, not Ty Dillinger. Uh, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the New Day, are going to defend those titles against the Usos. Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler. Another spoiler. Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. Because Sammy's looking for something to do, and Kevin Owens isn't going to fight Shane McMahon at a house show. Uh, also advertised appearances by the Hardys, the Hall, uh, WWE Hall of Famers, the Rock and Roll Express, and WWE Hall of Famer Ricky Steamboat. Of course, all of them synonymous with Starcade through the years. However, not everybody is happy that the WWE is bringing back the Starcade name for their show. Uh, that includes fans who don't think that what appears to be a, wa a well-promoted house show is worthy of the brand Jim Crockett promotions, the NWA and WCW treated as their version of WrestleMania, even though you have a stacked card featuring two steel cage matches. The list of people unhappy also includes Ring of Honor world champion Cody Rhodes and his wife Brandy. Cody's father was the late Dusty Rhodes, who was the head booker for Jim Crockett promotions in the 80s and is credited with inventing Starcade. He also headlined the second and third instances of the event with Ric Flair as part of their legendary rivalry for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Cody took to Twitter, tagging WWE producer Michael Hayes in a shot insinuating the company is only using the names to sell the name to sell tickets on the Thanksgiving weekend and to point out that they didn't even book his half-brother Dustin on the show that their father helped bring to life. Cody, of course, tweeted, if you're afraid an event won't sell out because of the holiday and want my dad's and want one of my dad's events, at least book Goldie. Uh, Brandy Rhodes didn't like the name and is upset that the former company, her former company, wouldn't use the brand while the American Dream was alive to appreciate the homage, and haven't credited him with its creation. He is, like I said, mentioned as one of the legendary performers from the Starcade history in the WWE.com story about this version. Starcade, she tweeted, Starcade was created and delivered by Dusty Rhodes. WWE didn't want to do it while he was here. Now they want to do it and not give him credit. This isn't the first time that Cody and Brandy have had issues with WWE's handling of Dusty's considerable legacy. It probably won't be the last. However, Michael Hayes did respond to the tweet saying, Cody, you're right. We should have Goldie on the show. By the way, what are you doing that night? Do you want to team with your brother? That, of course, led to Goldust tweeting, uh, I believe it was an image of him and Cody uh, in a match, one of those pre-match posters. Uh, it was him and Cody against, I believe it was um, the Hardys. 
So that was the the message that Goldust delivered as a possible match. Uh, however, we also heard from Matt Hardy, who said he'd love for Cody to bring Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson with them. He'll bring Rebby Hardy, King Maxwell, and Senior Benjamin with him. And then Matt Jackson responded, okay, we now have the night off. So, of course, none of this is actually going to happen, but it's making for interesting Twitter beef um, and, and Twitter follows. Uh, the event itself, of course, is Starcade. There is a considerable history attached to it. It does seem sort of cheap to bring it back for to pop a house show number, but it means a lot to the fans in North Carolina, and it means a lot to some of the past competitors. Guys like Ricky Steamboat are okay with it. Who are we to say that uh, they shouldn't do it? That's sort of my approach to it. Uh, in other news, last month at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3, the Authors of Pain lost the NXT Tag Team Championships to Sanity, uh, who were represented that night by Alexander Wolfe and Eric Young after the latter replaced Killian Dane mid-match. This was the first time on NXT program that the Authors of Pain were defeated. Following the loss, rumors began to swirl that the Authors of Pain were headed to the main roster since they did not appear at the subsequent NXT tapings. The duo, however, appeared at last week's set of tapings, which indicates that they're staying in NXT for the time being. Behind the scenes, WWE officials gave a lot of thought on promoting the duo to Raw or SmackDown Live, but ultimately decided against it. There was a split on who thought they were ready for the main roster and who didn't. Those who thought that Occam and Razor were, were ready couldn't find the creative plan for them that would work on the main roster, and they did not want another Ascension situation. Of course, we've talked in great length on this show about how mismanaged the Ascension were uh, when they got called up. I do find it interesting, however, to note that while they were originally planned, there were discussions to bring them up, we got a lot of the fashion files. And sort of since that seems to have cooled down, since they went back at the last NXT tapings, we haven't seen a single edition of the fashion files since then. Uh, that leads me to think that that was actually supposed to be how they were going to introduce the Authors of Pain uh, as the team that was jumping uh, Brizongo, and the sad reality is it's also meant very little involvement for Brizongo, short of that tremendously entertaining skit on 205 Live a couple weeks back. Uh, in another move that was expected by many, Shayna Baszler has officially signed a contract with the WWE after making it all the way to the finals of the recently completed May Young Classic Tournament, where she did lose to Kairi Sane. The 37-year-old former MMA fighter was strongly rumored to be signing with the WWE as she had stopped accepting any indie bookings and was portrayed in the tournament as a star. Not to mention with WWE planning to incorporate her into the Horsewoman storyline, they would have had to get her under contract to move forward with that. Uh, very happy for Shayna. She's a tremendous competitor, a tremendous performer. The age is a bit of a concern. I don't know I don't know that this is going to be a long-term deal with her in the WWE. Clearly, they want to do this Horsewoman angle. Uh, she is the best wrestler of the bunch, uh, at least in terms of professional wrestling. So she's going to have to carry that that angle in terms of the in-ring for that team. So getting her signed and locked up was a must. I think she'd be dominant down in NXT if, if booked right. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing with her. But speaking of NXT women, NXT wrestler Lacey Evans returned home this past week for the first time since her home was hit by the Hurricane Irma and discovered a lot of damage. Evans posted videos on her Instagram story showing things all over the place when she walked inside. However, she did remain positive and assured her daughter that they would clean everything up. 
Some of the things she saw upon her arrival included a broken car window, the refrigerator knocked on its side, and bugs inside of her dresser drawer. There was also a frog in the house. The worst part, according to Lacey, is the photos of her father that got damaged. She wrote on Instagram, I can replace appliances, clothes, hell, my entire home, but this will never be replaced. So sad news, hopefully, at least glad to hear that the family of Lacey Evans is okay, and hopefully uh, she is able to save some of those mementos. Of course, Hurricane Irma just devastating a lot of people in Florida and the, the islands. So we wish all of those people the best as well as Lacey Evans. Somebody who does not wish those people the best, former WWE Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan. As he fired off some tweets about the victims of Hurricane Irma on Thursday, last Thursday, after he braved the storm from his Clearwater, Florida residence. He referred to those who lost their power and water supplies as, quote, crybabies who could have had it much worse, saying, quote, no water, no power, crybabies, everyone's complaining, he wrote. These people have no clue how bad it could be, praying for those that got hit hard, lost homes, lives, businesses, lost everything. In a response to a tweet of support, Hogan called some of the victims, quote, spoiled and lamented them for complaining when things could have been worse. Now, I sort of understand Hulk's premise here in saying, listen, you're alive, your stuff's there, so you're without power, you know, it's something you can deal with. That said, a lot of these people were victims of this hurricane. They did lose things. Things did get destroyed. They are living without power. Uh, It's a tough situation. Yes, people had it worse, absolutely. But to call people suffering through the situation crybabies and sissies sort of makes you look like an asshole, Hulk. So uh, hopefully... Hulk can get his shit together, stop being a dick on Twitter, and maybe get himself back into the WWE, at least where he can you know, make a promotional appearance or do some fucking good, make some positive result instead of shitting on people for no reason, which seems to be his thing. He's sort of stealing Bret Hart's gimmick, and I think it needs to stop. Hulk needs to get his shit together and stop being an asshole. I don't know. Hasn't happened yet, but we can all hope. Uh, we referenced this, or I referenced this earlier, but WWE Intercontinental Champion The Miz is now the third longest reigning Intercontinental Champion in WWE history after passing the Honky Tonk Man last week. Uh, Miz has more than 450 days recognized by WWE. Ahead of him are WWE Hall of Famers Don Morocco with 541 and WWE Hall of Famer Pedro Morales with 619 days. Uh, of course, The Miz has this spread out over several title reigns whereas the Honky Tonk Man has the one legendary Intercontinental Championship reign. So in my book, Honky's still above The Miz, but I guess that's just a matter of opinion. During a recent Instagram live chat with fans, Brie Bella said she filmed a video of herself training in the ring and giving Daniel Bryan a dropkick from the second rope. But the WWE did not allow her to upload the video on YouTube because it shows the SmackDown general manager taking a bump. Brie was responding to a fan asking her to put up a training video on the Bella Twins YouTube channel. She said, quote, actually, I did do some, but they weren't allowed to be shown. She then turned the camera on Brian, who said, oh, yeah, because she drop kicked me off the second rope. Brie then explained that it wasn't allowed to be aired. Brian continued, yeah, because they're not allowed to show me do anything wrestling wise. Brie said it's not that. Uh, I'm sorry, Bree said it's not that he's she's not hearing the fans' requests, because she is, and they found a ring and did it, and I was training there, still training, her husband exclaimed. So, of course, Daniel Bryan continues to train for a return to in-ring action. Uh, I said last week, now that I've seen and kind of heard his story, 
and, and his side of that story, I feel perhaps better about Daniel Bryan continuing his wrestling career. It really does sound like WWE is being overly cautious. Uh, I understand their position. They're in the middle of a concussion lawsuit. Uh, however, when Joseph Maroon, who's their concussion guy, gets on stage and says he thinks CTE is overblown, uh, you get Baron Corbin in trouble for contesting that, and the company then tells Daniel Bryan he can't even upload a video of himself taking a bump. Uh, I still think Daniel Bryan's going to wrestle again. I still think it's going to be in WWE. Just call me crazy. I don't think they're going to let that return happen somewhere else and let someone else make the money off of it. But I really do feel like it's going to happen. If it's not WWE, it's probably going to be Ring of Honor, uh, and it's going to involve probably the Bullet Club, and we'll see how that plays out. But it's going to be the biggest story in professional wrestling. And if you want to know what could propel New Japan Wrestling or Ring of Honor to be serious competition, the injection of Daniel Bryan as, with his popularity and a sort of feel of a renegade feel of doing something outside of the law, if you will, or, or the rule of the WWE would certainly go a long way to propelling one of those companies way up the la way up the ranks. Speaking of companies that are not way up the ranks, Impact Wrestling announced this week that they will be holding their Bound for Glory pay-per-view at the Aberdeen Pavilion on November 50th. I'm sorry, 5th, November 5th. There are not 50 days in November. November 5th, with TV tapings also to take place on the 6th through the 10th. With the event and the company pretty much moving to Canada, Jim Cornette appears to be done with the promotion, as he is not able to travel to Canada stemming from several incidents on his file, including assault charges as a result of fights with fans who attacked him when he was a manager. Cornette hasn't been to Canada since 2010 when he was stopped at the border, and so the two sides have decided to mutually end their relationship. Cornette has agreed to film any material needed to explain his exit from storylines, but at this time there is nothing of that sort planned. Now, the other part of this news item, and it wasn't mentioned in this article, is that during the release announcing this, there was no mention of GFW, only Impact Wrestling. So it appears that the rumors that Jeff Jarrett continued to own the GFW name post-merger were 100% true, and this company finds itself once again going through another rebranding. After we just rebranded to GFW, came up with new belts, did unification matches, it sort of feels like this thing just needs to go away and die. It really does. I feel like they missed their boat when they decided they couldn't sell to Billy Corgan. Instead, they sell it, sold it to Anthem, put Ed Nordham, who has no idea how to run a wrestling company, in charge. He ran for the hills and grabbed somebody who he thought could run the company in Jeff Jarrett. And maybe Jarrett could, but Jarrett just doesn't play well with others. And when he has bosses and he has to answer to them, it doesn't typically work out well. And it didn't again. And the end result now is that the company is just once again kind of floating in the ether with no real direction and no real point. And I feel like it's sort of becoming just a laughing stock. It might be time to shutter up the doors. Paige is on a journey to reclaim her house. The two-time Divas champion unseen in the WWE ring for more than a year revealed earlier this week that she has returned to the WWE Performance Center, presumably beginning her return to active competition in the WWE. She said, quote, went to see an old friend today. On Monday on Instagram, good to be back there. WWE rode back to my house, of course, posting a picture of the WWE Performance Center. Uh, in a behind-the-scenes update of her WWE status, Paige is currently scheduled to be on SmackDown Live upon her return. Quote, as of today, Paige is going to SmackDown, Brian Alvarez revealed Tuesday on the F4WOnline.com message board. 
In the latest obser- issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer added, There is said to be a storyline for her return, and tentatively it's on SmackDown. Of course, the idea being she would offset the addition of Asuka to Monday Night Raw. Uh, while Paige is officially a member of the Raw roster, WWE is promoting her as if she's a free agent like John Cena. On her return to the Performance Center, WWE.com wrote on Monday, If her return is imminent, as this post is leading many of the WWE Universe to believe, consider the women of Raw and SmackDown Live officially put on notice. Meltzer believes Paige has gotten full clearance to return to the ring and is now trying to get back into shape. She's been out of action for over a year with neck problems that led to her having surgery. Her last match took place on June 27th of 2016 on Raw with her teaming with Sasha Banks against Charlotte and Dana Brooke. And if we close off the news desk with the revelation that Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Cruise has been announced for October 27th through October 31st. The ship will sail from Miami to Nassau, Bahamas. There will be a Sea of Honor tournament with Ring of Honor hosted by WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross. Special guests include Raven, Rey Mysterio Jr., WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, WWE Hall of Famer Ricky Steamboat, WWE Hall of Famer Diamond Dallas Page, comedian Jim Brewer, Jericho's band Fozzie, and band King and other musical acts. Jericho's website, ChrisJerichoCruise.com, notes that other acts will be announced. In addition to the tournament, there will be three Fozzie concerts and a li- and three live Talk is Jericho podcasts, plus other podcasts taping from the ship. I can confirm that the rundown will not be one of those three podcasts. Uh, single tickets start at $1,299 and go all the way up to $8,381. So if any of you listeners out there have about uh, $9,000 burning a hole in your pocket, you can go spend about a week listening to Fozzie and, and Talk is Jericho podcasts uh, where I'm sure you will get plenty of ads for DDP yoga. Uh, that is going to do it for the news desk. And we are going to uh, get to the next segment of our show where we're going to do No Mercy predictions. Uh, of course, these are my predictions. And I sort of segued a while back from doing straight predictions to doing how I would book it if I were in charge and kind of making that my prediction. So let's start with the WWE Intercontinental Championship match as The Miz with The Miz Taraj defends against Jason Jordan. Now, my heart says you got to keep the title on The Miz. Uh, but I sit back and watch that they had Jason Jordan lose to John Cena. They had Jason Jordan lose to uh, Roman Reigns. And now they're sticking him in a high-profile match on a pay-per-view uh, against The Miz for the title. And you know what, folks? I'm going to go with The Miz to retain. And I'm going to do that because I see the storyline playing out where Kurt Angle keeps giving Jason Jordan opportunities and he keeps failing. And Jason's going to end up blaming Kurt, and that's how we're going to get to the heel turn that I think we all sort of know is coming down the road. So mark me down as picking The Miz to retain the title. Uh, We also have the Fatal 5-Way match for the WWE Women's Raw Championship. Alexa Bliss defends against Sasha Banks, against Bayley, against Nia Jax, and against Emma. I think the one thing we all know going into this is that Emma's probably the one taking the pinfall. Uh, As for who wins, I'm going to say the title stays on Bliss. I think you're going to end up going off maybe into two programs as Alexa will square off with Nia and maybe we get that Sasha Banks and Bailey program we've been waiting for because now seems like a good time to take a program with a ton of heat and history and then shove it in there in a meaningless pay-per-view in the middle of the month. But you also have the idea that we're going to get to horsewomen versus horsewomen at Survivor Series and 
this would be the I think the, I believe this is the last Raw pay per view before Survivor Series, so you need to sort of find a way to get Sasha and Bailey on the same page if you're going to pull that off in a believable way. So that's what we're going to go with. I'm going to say Bliss retains the title. And another title match as the WWE Cruiserweight Championship will be on the line with Neville defending against Enzo Amore. I, I just don't see any scenario under which Enzo gets the title. He's actually done a good job, I think, of making 205 Live more interesting to the casual fan because they have a face they can recognize on the show. Uh, that said, I just don't see them rewarding Enzo's recent behavior with a title run. I could be wrong, but I'm going to go with Neville here to hold on to the title. As previously discussed, we have a man-versus-man match as Finn Balor takes on Bray Wyatt. And uh, I don't really know who's going to win. i got to be honest with you, I don't really care who wins this match. Uh, I'm a big fan of Finn, but I think the storyline is going to be better if Bray Wyatt wins here. And then you can play the, well, he can't beat him as the demon card and then probably continue to feud. That's my guess. So I'm going to go with Bray Wyatt with the victory here. Um Raw Tag Team Championship, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins defending the title against Cesaro and Sheamus. Uh, I can't see Cesaro and Sheamus taking the title back here. There's got to be some bigger plan as it relates to the Shield with Ambrose and Rollins as they're now even sort of floundering as a tag team. Just they're there and that's they're, they're interesting when they're on TV, but nobody really cares much about them when they're not. Uh, I'm hoping that this is a precursor to some big program that involves Roman Reigns rejoining them and maybe going heel. We'll see. Speaking of Roman Reigns, the next match on the card is him versus John Cena. John Cena has to win this match. Uh, the only scenario in which I see Roman Reigns winning this match is if we get that heel turn and the shield helps him beat John Cena. And, of course, the problem with that is, does that really make him a heel? I mean, if these guys all gang up and we get a reunite, reuniting of this group that everyone loves to take out a guy everyone thinks sucks and tells him he sucks regularly, do you get a heel pop or do you get a face pop? I don't really know. Well, I guess we'll find, hopefully we'll find out because that's what I'm hoping happens at the pay-per-view. Uh, if I'm betting money on it, I'm putting my money on John Cena. And then the main event for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman in his corner defends against Braun Strowman. Uh, if Braun wins, I hope that we get a new wardrobe because his pants sort of look like an AIDS quilt. It's just different patches together of, of completely different material. And it sort of makes him look a little, you know, looks like a guy who's in the heavyweight championship program should have a little more uh, gravitas towards him. Uh, as for this match, if I'm booking this, and this is my game, so I'm booking it. I'm putting the title on Braun Strowman here. And I think you can keep the title on television, make an interesting program out of it, and then find a way to bring Brock back and put the title back on him in a couple months if you want, even if it's at the Royal Rumble, to still build towards that Brock and Roman program that we hear they want for WrestleMania. But I think you have to do something to get that title back on television every week, and I think Braun might provide you with the perfect opportunity to do so. So the end result there is my pick is going to be Braun Strowman, your new Universal Champion. All right, that is going to bring us to the part where I tell you about all the local wrestling shows surrounding those of us on the show. And allow me to start with Elkamania 5, because it comes to you live from the Beverly Salem Elks Lodge 
on Saturday, September 23rd. Main event, an I quit match for the Bay State Championship as bitter Buddy Romano defends against Derek Simonetti. In a mask versus hair match, Freakin' Flax versus the gentleman Burke Beckett with Chad Epic. A student versus teacher match will take place as Slam Dance Tim Lennox takes on his trainer, the dynasty Bo Douglas. The New England Tag Team Championship on the line as the Middlesex Express with Chad Epic take on Blackgate Mercenaries with Delilah Hayden. The maniacal Jack Kruger will defend the All-Star Championship in an open challenge plus more. Doors open at 6 p.m. with a special bell time of 6.35. If you're interested in checking out a show where I will be, feel free to join me at the Boys and Girls Club of Lower Merrimack Valley when Atlantic Pro Wrestling returns with another night of great wrestling action Saturday night, September 30th with a 6.30 p.m. bell time. The main event, of course, the Gil Bonk Invitational 20-Man Wrestle Royal. Two participants start every nine seconds. Another comp- 90 seconds, another competitor enters the ring. Eliminations can happen via pinfall submission or by tossing someone over the top rope and both feet hitting the floor. So far entered into the Wrestle Royal with half the field as Dynamite Danny Miles. Robo, the Punjabi Lion, the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, the Hampton Beach bad boy, Hunter Ward, the Canadian legend, Matt Loudon, the Sheik Abdullah Hassan, the concept, Johnny Torres, big gun, Jim Sargent, the, and the both members of the mainstay posse, Danger Kid and Aiden Agro, have all signed up and have filled out half the role. What is, who will be the other 10? You'll have to join us on September 30th to find out. Coming in Troy's neck of the woods, up in Wisconsin, ICW returns on October 1st at the La Pica Lounge, 3431 West Lincoln Ave on the south side of Milwaukee with Brothers at War. Doors open at 3.30 p.m. with a pre-show at 3.45 and a 4 p.m. bell time. All tickets are $15. This is Milwaukee's only R-rated pro wrestling. In the main event, an anything-goes street fight as high-class Morgan Foley takes on Pit stain Foley. I'm not sure if they're related. I don't, I'll have to look that up and find out if uh, High Class Morgan Foley and Pit stain Foley are brothers. It's possible. Uh, ICW World Title Match. The Greek God GQ Giannis is going to take on Pitbull Zach McGuire. ICW Tag Title Match. The Evil Shadows 2.0. Stacy Shadows and Sierra take on the Marman Marios Crivello. And King of Ice Cream, Tyler Sunday. Taylor Sunday. I apologize for any mispronunciations. The ICW Midwest title match, His Holiness Sean Priest takes on the Riot starter, Vinny Riot. In a battle of the veterans, Derek St. Holmes takes on Swagman, Jared Jacks. Silas Young Invitational Rematch, The Dark Prophet, Odin Vedit, takes on the never-ending Scott Story. Uh, fatal four-way elimination match, The Return. Of Jet Joey Avalon, the ICW debut of Vinny Scarponi, the fabled one, Aesop Mitchell, former guest of the Rundown Sit-Down, takes on the Italian kid, Vinny Scarponi versus High Octane, Onyx Andretti versus Jet Joey Avalon, the soulless one, Jet Blackwell versus the Soldier of Fortune, Garrison Creed, the pre-show match, just Jacob Hoffman versus Cato, all that and more at ICW's Brothers at War. As I said earlier, on October 1st, up there in Wisconsin. So if you're in that area, I encourage you definitely to check those guys out. And you can tell them that the rundown sent you. Now, back here in New England, Lucky Pro Wrestling presents Fall Frenzy, Saturday, October 14th, from the Elks Hall in Clinton, Massachusetts. 
Anthony Green and the LPW champion Vern Vicala will each have a pick-your-poison match. Green will choose Vicalo's challenger and vice versa. Anthony Green has already chosen the selfie-made man's challenger, and it is the kingpin himself, Brian Malonis, another former guest of the sit-down. For the first time ever, the LPW Tag Team titles will be on the line in a last team standing match as the Aristocrats defend against the heavy hitters. And this is the hitters' last chance at Tag Team Gold in LPW. If they lose this match, they never get another shot. The Riot, Kellen Thomas, will take on Big Jim Anderson and also announced Brick Matt Stone will defend the Hard Knocks Championship against Cam Zagami. Also, of course, the return of the fan favorite Halloween Battle Royal. Davian will defend her LPW Women's Championship in a four-way dance against Delmi Exo, Adira, and Isana. Also, Tyler Nitro will take on Machado, accompanied by Taylor Hendricks, in a National Pro Wrestling, show, National Pro Wrestling League showcase match. Uh, Bruce City Wrestling brings the 12th annual Halloween show on Friday, October 20th, to the Columbus Center, sorry, the Columbus Club of West Alice, 1800 South, Street, South 92nd Street, Nightmare on 92nd Street, featuring the Costume Royal Battle Rumble. The Costume Royal Battle Rumble, that's what it says. Bell time is 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 6.45 p.m. Tickets are $20 reserved ringside. General admission at the door, $18 or $16 on BrewCityWrestling1.com using PayPal. Already signed, an intergender tag team match as the King of Ice Cream, Taylor Sunday, and Blue Phoenix, Vanessa Azure, take on Evil Threat, the team of Evil Days, Evil Dis, and Evil Sierra. The Bruce City Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship, Max Holiday defends against the Tokyo Monster, Kahagas. The Heathen member, more fandemonium matches announced soon. Follow them on Twitter at BCW1 or on Facebook at Bruce City Wrestling 1. Liberty States Wrestling returns to the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Mass. on Saturday, October 21st. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. The bell time is 7. Tickets are just $10 at the door. So far announced, Josh Briggs versus Brick Stone. Todd Sopel issues another open challenge for his No Limits Championship. And in the main event, Christian Casanova defends the Liberty States Heavyweight Championship against Ilya Markopoulos. Of course, once again, the UFO Wrestling is back with our annual Thanksgiving Eve event featuring the Turkey Rumble as we present Harvest Havoc 2017. The event is a fundraiser for the Tynan Community Center. Matches announced so far, the selfie-main man Vern Vicalo takes on Ilya Markopoulos. Furio Falcone versus Osiris. The cool people will make their first defense of the UFO Tag Team Championships. Also, the annual Turkey Rumble with the following competitors announced so far. Channing Thomas, Connor Tice, the Castle Island Assassin, Sully Banger, King Leon VI, Ike, and the SOG Ronnie Ribs. More matches to be announced soon. From now until October 1st, if you buy two general admission tickets, you'll get a third for free. Front row seats are $15 in advance and $20 at the door. General admission is $10 in advance and $15 at the door. Reserve your tickets safe and securely through the Friends and Family feature on PayPal at paypal.me slash patrickdillon, title it Havoc. For more information, search for UFO Wrestling on Facebook. And that's going to do it for this edition of The Rundown on Thursday night, September 21st. It's been seven days since Impact Wrestling rebranded again. Go to Audible Trial slash Rundown for a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial, or go to at Rundown Podcast on Twitter to send us all your feedback, or you can leave us an email at rundownwrestling at gmail.com. 
Exciting news. We are now on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become a patron. Currently, there is just one reward level, the Rundowner, which for $5 a month grants you one patron episode only of the Rundown. Leave us a voicemail at 617-863-6967. That is 61-RUNDOWN7. You can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. Also want to encourage you to check out all the shows offered under the Questual Endeavor Network banner by visiting questandnetwork.com. Check out the Slasher Sanitarium if you are a fan of horror. And check out our Discord channel. Listen to our good friends, the Kingpin Brian Malonis and Mike Crockett on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing twice a week on both Mondays and Thursdays. They are bringing you great audio over there, and they are great supporters of our show. So I want to give them a big shout-out every week, every chance we get. Subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear all of our other shows, including NXT Revisited, all my rundown sit-downs when they become available, WrestleMania Salvation, our newest hit, Glow Shtick, and the Nitro Mania Podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. I don't have a co-host to thank this week. Thanks to Ray Williams for the logo, and I would just like to thank myself for that new theme song. Next week, we will bring you our No Mercy reactions and results. That's going to do it for this edition. We will see you next week on the Rundown Podcast. I still got to say it. We'll see you next Thursday. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by Adam Salzer and is produced, hosted, and edited this week by Jason Stewart. We are a proud charter member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. Check out all our shows at questennetwork.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast.